Welcome into the Seminole Rap Podcast, Brian Pellerin, Ben Meyerson, John Marchant, the whole crew here for, uh, I guess it's off-season episode one. Uh, bowl game finished, transfer portal spinning like crazy, lots of guys in, a few guys out, a uh, lot more players going pro, signing day coming through since our last episode. It's been a busy holiday season in, in, in Tallahassee. I feel like every day I open Twitter and there's like four guys walking in and out of the football facility and... They're like high-fiving as they walk in and out because it's just, I mean, it's like a revolving door. I think there's like tickets or something. But all that said, signing day, most of the portal stuff, I'm just going to push that over. Let you go ahead and check out Florida State of Recruiting, three stars, David, Tim, Josh. That's They're very good at that. So I'm not even going to let us really pretend to fall that into our purview. Though uh, I do think if there's one name that this podcast in particular has a, a, a good feeling about, a good perspective on... Uh, it is former Clemson quarterback, now Florida State QB1, DJ Uyunglele. Yeah, guys, no longer DJU. Get used to the last name. Learn it. I had to just put down the phonetic here. I practiced. I prepared. I felt, what do we think? Six out of 10? Eight out of 10? What do we think? A little nods from Ben? It's all seven and a half out of 10. That was, I'll take that it. was good. Yeah, we're working on it. It's like Tua, right? Yeah. Tunga Vailoa. You know, you work on it. You get better. You get there. Uh, but we'll talk him in a little bit. His journey to Tallahassee, what to expect. I think I told both of the guys beforehand, we... Uh, more than any other podcast I can think of, talk DJU football this season because I don't know why we just did. Uh, so now we'll get to the perspective now that he's actually in Tallahassee playing for Florida State. But I do have to talk about the Orange Bowl first. Uh, as you're all aware, Florida State's reserves played Georgia in the Orange Bowl about a week ago, and it went poorly. Uh, a blowout by the middle of the second quarter, 63-3 the final. Georgia scoring 35 in that second quarter alone. Really felt like it fell apart after the kickoff fumble, but it was kind of, it seemed like a formality at the beginning. I'm not really here to belabor the point on this game a week after the fact, but uh, John, I simply ask, should people care? No. I don't. Uh... I thought the game meant nothing. I mean, and that was the thing on Twitter too. Was the game meaningless or bowl games not meaningless? Blah blah blah, and all that crap. Yes, it's it's meaningful for the players for the experience and the trip and the things that you get with with bowl games. You know, sometimes the players get kind of goodies and things like that. Um, obviously, the game reps and all that other kind of stuff. But as far as the result goes, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I didn't. I recorded the game. I didn't watch it. I still, I might because of Brock Glenn, right? I might do an article on him later, but it literally means nothing to me. I don't care. Uh, I, I expected Florida State to get kind of destroyed. I didn't think they'd lose by 60. I thought maybe, you know, 35, 40, something like that point loss, but not 60. Um, but to me, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I thought some of the comments Kirby Smart had after the game were good. I agreed with some of what he said. Uh and this is a it could lead to a different conversation about you know where college football is going and contracts and all this other stuff, but it's difficult because I think college football might be the only sport where you play after the season and your season's over, right? It's the NFL, you have an actual postseason, you get in, but it's not and college football is trending that direction. You're gonna have a 12 team playoff in this coming season. But for the longest time, your season's over, and the bowl game was a reward for that. And it's just it, it's not it's not like that anymore. So, um, no, didn't mean anything. Ben, did it mean anything to you? 
Um, no, it, it didn't. And I know that because I had a flight scheduled for about halfway through <laughs> the game uh, that I was on. Uh, yeah, no, the game didn't matter. I mean, to be honest, the Orange Bowl had a lot less splash and prestige than the Pop-Tart Bowl did this year. Um, so, you know, shout out to the Pop-Tart Bowl. That was a lot of fun. But <laughs> I, 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 I think, you know, that kind of just tells to me kind of embodies the story of what the bowl games have become and kind of what John was hinting at there is that just, it just didn't matter. Um, and, and for these kids who, and I don't want to belabor this point, but I think it does have to be said that we're told, Hey, those 13 regular season games that you played, they didn't matter for you to go around and tell them, Hey, get excited for the orange Bowl in Miami <laughs> and go and, and try and get an injury. Like, I mean, you know, like we saw Jake, Butt did um, years ago um, when he completely tanked his draft stock and compromised his pro career. I, for a lot of those guys, it just doesn't make sense. And then with the way the transfer portal is set up now, even for the guys who aren't going pro, you had Tate Rodemaker jump out. What was it? Four or five days before the game. Um, plenty of other players for, FSU that ended up transferring um, that weren't participants. So I, I think, you know, like John said, what, what Kirby Smart said, I thought was really smart after this game. I, I really love that clip from Chip Kelly, too, talking about just the state of college football and where things are at. And, you know, it's just a broken system. Um, so, you know, I think to me, that's the biggest takeaway from this is not so much what happens on the field. I, I did like what I see from Brock. Glenn, um, I thought he played better. He improved. Um, but at the same time, I just more than anything have to agree with Kirby Smart that you just feel bad for the kids who are out there in that meaningless game um, where they were at risk. And, you know, for some teams, yeah, there are some cool bowl experiences. And, you know, all joking aside, the Pop-Tart, they genuinely made it a fun, exciting experience. And I hate to keep referencing that bowl, but it's going to be the most memorable one from this year beyond, you know, the playoff games. So, um, no, this game didn't matter. And I think it's just unfortunate to see how bowl games have gone. And clearly we're going to have to do something to fix it. Otherwise, it's going to be more of the same. The one thing I would say, and I agree with both of you, I, I don't think the game should matter to anyone. The, the people who know ball, the people who, especially the people who know this team, uh, even people who are like really in the college football know like that, that clearly wasn't Florida State. I made the point at the beginning of this, like Florida State's reserves because I mean, you're a third string quarterback, you're playing backup running backs and random receivers and, you know, your defensive line is nowhere to be found. Uh, but it's more, I think, the casual fan and to some extent, like some recruits, not all, but like to some, I can see where it matters a little. And it's not like casual fans are that right they showed up this was like this i think like the second most watched orange bowl that wasn't a playoff game or whatever like people tuned in because of the names and the logos um and obviously everyone is like oh yeah all i've heard is florida state. if you're not like plugged in it's like oh i've heard florida state belongs in the playoff they belong in the playoff and then they get boat raced um but like rightfully so like that wasn't florida state's team like i think there's a small impact of that and i and i don't I, and i see those people who are like well that's a program culture and like no it's not it's not um but i could see if like a kid is considering florida state maybe he's even in georgia uh and his classmates not even other recruits are, are bulldog fans and they're giving him hell uh because you won by 60 i mean if you google it it just looks bad well you know there's not florida state the florida state logo doesn't say like third strings and reserves 
Um, I get it. Like, I know. I think anyone really listening to this knows. Like, that's not Florida State. But there is a, a small chance it's held against you in almost invisible ways we wouldn't really think of. You know, like 20 years from now where someone's going to pull up the logo and be like, well, that was weird. Even five years from now, you know, you can kind of see it fading and the number is just still going to exist. And I, I think that's where there's some there, there could be some pull to it, but not much. Yeah, I think that's a really good point in that, you know, it is definitely one of those things where when you Google it, you know, years and years from now, you're just going to see that those voters are going to be like, well, I guess that happened on on that field and that supposed 13 and 0 year for FSU. Um, and of course, we know there's more context to it. But I, I think in terms of the recruiting and, and the players and the transfer portal, all that kind of thing, I I get what you're getting at, Brian. And, and I think maybe the way I see it is that for the kids who are locked into Florida State, it's not even a second thought for them. Right, but they know. Yeah. For the kid who is maybe looking or in his mind is trying to find his way out or rationalize it and then he sees that, you know, it certainly doesn't help. So I think maybe for those kids who are, you know, maybe committed but know they don't really want to go there and are kind of on the fringes about it and are, are looking for that avenue to rationalize their decision – then for them, sure. So I think for those small select few, yeah, I can definitely affect their decision. But I think, you know, you kind of you kind of hit that point well. That Yeah. Know. I'm also thinking like when I was 17, like how much nuance was I applying to a lot of things? Like, I, you know, if I saw my school show up, I'm like, we're going to win because we are, you know, at that point, we are LSU. And, you know, at this point, if I see Florida State's logo and that's my school, I'm like, we're going to show up. We're going to win. We're going to show you Georgia. And then like, you know, you talk a little bit much on the front end and then you're like, oh, wow. Well, yeah. that sucks. I talked a lot of, of bleep with just being a 17 year old. Like that's my, that's my logo and I stand by it. And, um, um, and I think KJ Bolden even ended up, he, he's he, the safety who is committed to Florida state who flipped in the, I think it was the last day or the last few days. Again, we're going to push the recruiting stuff over to our recruiting podcast. That is not our <laughs> game, but he, he specifically flipped to Georgia and he made some comments about that. So you're right. You know, in the 17, 18 year old recruit mind, you know, it shouldn't matter, but it's not nothing. Yeah, and I, I, again, I think it, it's so, so small. I, 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 I'm with you. I don't think it matters, but there is that segment not as plugged in, you know, not as nuanced in things. The other thing, John, I wanted to bring your way, I think it showed the depth. Um, Georgia had guys out, not quite to the same level or caliber of Florida State, um, but you could kind of see, like, even deep down the lineup for Georgia, they were running out guys, you know? And I think that's where you can see some of the gap Florida State still has to make up in this program. They microwaved a winner uh, and a really competitive one, but the need to build classes. Right, 100% agree. Um, and again, us talking about the result of the game being meaningless doesn't mean that the game wasn't useful in certain situations, exactly what you're talking about. Um, obviously there's a talent difference all the way down the depth chart between Florida state and Georgia. It's kind of what we expected it to see. And I'm not going to say we enjoyed having that confirmed for us, but it does kind of show Mike Norvell and the staff and hopefully some of the fans, just how much further they have to go to reach that level. Uh, I remember it used to be that Alabama was the quote unquote, like, you know, 70% blue chip and they were like way above everybody else. But now it feels like a couple of those teams, you know, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State are closer now to like 85, 90% kind of stuff, right? So 
you know, in Florida State wasn't that. They they had a lot of transfers that were very talented, like Keon Coleman come in. Um, but you could tell it too, whenever they'd sub out through the whole season, uh, some of their starters and the backups would get on the field, they'd often give up big plays. It happened a lot with Boston College in that game. So um it it's expected and and we did like to see even though you had a couple of big top top end recruits flip at the end before the class signed um it's still a good class it's trending in the right direction it's just you've got to start stacking a lot of those classes you hopefully you see Florida State get in top five and then again three years you stack them then you get into the area where yeah you're not going to get blown out by Georgia even if you have a bunch of guys who who sit out because they're off to the NFL so I agree with you guys I think that was um a big thing. It's a, it's important to note. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done. Even though they went 13 and 0, kind of tells you, you know, the coaching job that the staff did and the development of players that maybe weren't as highly recruited, and and obviously the recruitment out of the portal, which which everyone's made a big deal, you know, with Florida State and the transfer portal. So um, again, it's a work in progress. I'm I'm happy with the blue chip class that they got. It's just you got to start stacking them. Yeah, and I, I think that's what was on display, especially. I do think to some degree there's probably going to be some thinning of that blue chip percentage kind of across the board with guys' ability to transfer. When you see it this year, it feels like everybody's kind of in the portal. I mean, even surprises like Judkins at Ole Miss. Um, I mean, he's one of the best running backs in the country, and with one year left of probably college ball, he decides I'm cashing in because Lord knows in the NFL I'm not. So, I mean, you can probably see some of those blue chips start thinning, and, you know, that transfer portal allows you to pull in a handful of those starter type guys and be like, this is the year we're going for it. Obviously, everybody's going to start doing that. Florida State was a first adopter and has had a ton of success with it. Um, but now you've got to build the base to where you can keep it and sustain it and keep it going. But I mean, I, another year and and the, the I guess, successes in the portal, the, I guess the hits in the portal. I'm trying to find the right word for it because. We haven't quite seen it yet from DJ yet, but uh, he is Florida State's new quarterback. He is the newest name to come through the portal. Uh, three years playing at Clemson, I believe two as the true starter, uh, plus last season at Oregon State. Conversation around DJU in this podcast has been a lot of good college quarterback, nothing special. That has been the talk. Um, John, I'll go to you first. He's your quarterback now, your QB1, your presumptive starter. Does that change your perspective on a guy we've largely said is good, not great? Um, Perspective on what, on him or on Florida State team? Uh, I'd say him specifically. When you're looking at what, what he brings to this program, you know, as a player. Well, we go I think he... Right. I think he raised his stock, right, at Oregon State, getting out of that Clemson situation. He had some comments about... Um, what was going on at Clemson after he left, which which were interesting. That I think we kind of talked about in a, in a previous pod. But um, as a player, I mean, he does some he does some really nice things. See, that was the thing is I thought early on. I just want to say this: I thought early on, Clemson treated him as if he was not good. Right? They didn't trust him, and you know he does that for two years. You think he's going to get better? Right? They hired the Royals award winner, I think it was from TCU. And then they don't let him run his offense kind of stuff, right? This past year with Kate Klubnik. And so seeing the offense that they ran out this year, it kind of tells you it wasn't all DJ's fault, right? I don't think um, by any means. I think the Clemson scheme puts way too much on their skill players. And they didn't really have any very talented skill players outside of Shipley, right? So they put a lot on their receivers to do all of the heavy lifting, 
and they don't have the skill positions for that. So it kind of hides the ability of the quarterback. Um, and I think that was some of the issues that we saw with DJ that we ended up attributing to him initially. Right. So now he transferred out. He goes to Oregon State. He was a pretty solid season. It wasn't, I don't think, spectacularly better than than what he did at Clemson. Uh, one thing worth noting is he did raise his um average yards per pass instead of 6.8 his last year at Clemson in 2022. This past season he was 8.4 at Oregon State. So I think they opened up the offense a little bit more for him. I think they trusted him a little bit more, let him throw down the field. Um, and that's kind of what I'm I'm hoping. I, I do think he's a good fit. Uh, at Florida State and Mike Norvell's offense, I don't think he's going to run as much as people think he will. One thing he does do excellently on the ground, though, is the short yardage. So third and one, third and two, that kind of stuff. I think he'll pick up a bunch of those first downs for you. He's a big guy, uh, but I don't think he's going to be, you know, he's not going to run like Travis when tra- on the games that Travis is actually committed to running. And we saw that he's not, that's not his game. Um, but you do expect him to execute the offense, keep them, you know, ahead of the sticks. Uh, and protect the football. Uh, you know, Travis was a lead at that. I think the last two years, uh, DJ's had something like 21 or 22 interception, uh, 20, 21 or 22 touchdowns and seven picks each of the last two years. And that's probably what you're about to gonna, you know, kind of see in the ballpark. Um, I trust Mike Norvell in the development and Tony Tokert's uh, took ours right of, of developing him, the quarterback's coach. So I'm excited for DJ. I think, again, he's no elite world beater type quarterback, but he's a solid guy. I think he raises the floor of this team. So before you're like maybe, you know, six and six, eight and four kind of stuff, he might get you to nine and three or 10 and two. Ben. Yeah. I think, you know, that's about where I'm at too. He's, he's a floor raiser. That's, that's why he was brought into this team this year. And, you know, that's truly what they need out of this 2024 team, specifically the quarterback position where, you know, you look at Brian Glenn and, and Luke Cromenhawk, uh, who are going to be coming up, who are still both fairly young. So, you know, those aren't guys you want to throw to the wolves this young in their career. So I think bringing in DJ is kind of that perfect um, bridge quarterback. And I, I hate to use that term because it feels weird using that in college. But in my mind, that's what he is for this team. Um, he's going to raise the floor to to a higher level this year. And, and I think John nailed it about nine wins is, is where I'm at. Um, and I did see improvement from him going to Oregon State, having a, a more friendly system, you know, in terms of his skill sets. I think John noted that fairly well. One thing I do want to point out, too, that we saw improvement from him um, from Clemson to Oregon State was how often he got sacked, you know, just digging through some of the numbers. And when I saw that initial transfer officially come through, you know, one of the areas he really, really took a leap from um, from that 2022 season to last year was um, the fact that he was taking longer in terms of his time to throw, but his pressure to sack rate dropped by about 10%. And you just don't really see that almost ever. We saw Jordan Travis, I think, had a year where where it dropped about seven, eight percent, but 10 percent's very, very significant. So, you know, he got a lot better in terms of dealing with pressure. I think that's still one weak area of him where, I, you know, he's not going to be that off platform thrower. He's not going to be that sort of creative Houdini sort of guy. But I think if you look at everything else that he can do for this offense. Um, I, I think he's raising the floor by a lot. And he's going to help with the development of this young team that 
really needs a guy like him. So I think it's a perfect fit for him in this offense with Mike Norvell and this staff. And then I think it's a perfect fit in terms of the development of this team over the next two, three years and where they want to be um, in 2025 and 2026. So I think, you know, this is just a decision that made a lot of sense for both sides. Yeah, I don't think, like you said, I don't think he's a program changer. I don't think he's someone who's coming in and says like, okay, Florida State is national title contender. I think we have to see what else plays out here. And and, and look, there weren't exactly, I don't think that guy was out there. Uh, Cam Ward was the other name that was kind of out there. Um, he seemed to just basically be between Miami and the NFL, and the choice was the NFL. Um, uh, you know, it, it even if I think he was coming to Florida State, I think you could talk yourself into if he takes a step, then maybe there's that there. But, um, you know, if you look at DJ last year, we talked about how much better he was at Oregon State, right? Like it looked like he got better. He took 11 sacks last year, which, you know, in 12 games, it's one less than one a game. That's that's good. Um, But like the numbers are weird. Like he took three against Colorado. Um, So it's kind of like, the games you wouldn't expect it to be there. There were multiple. The games were like Oregon only once. You know, it was they running the ball more? Or were they just trying to get out of his hand? I mean, that's a game he threw 35 times. He only sacked once. Then the game against Colorado, he throws 24 and he sacked three times. You know, I mean, there, there's some weirdness in here. The other thing, I mean, he never crossed 300. His best passing game of the year was 284 in a sub 50% game against South Dakota State, where he actually threw two picks and one touchdown. Um, you know, and then the rushing was where I thought he really kind of popped, you know, but he only had five rushing touchdowns. He had six on the season. Five came in the first four games. He had won the rest of the season. Um, and and then, like, if you really took it down, like, the, te- the biggest games, right, the teams I think at the end of the year we sit here and we go, okay, we know this team is good. I think we know Utah's defense is good. In the early season, they were good. Uh, Arizona obviously proved to be pretty good by the year's end. Washington's here playing for the title, and Oregon won a New Year's Six Bowl. In the, in the four games, he went one of three, the one win being against Utah. In that game, 13 of 25, 204 yards, a pick, and a touchdown. Arizona was, I think, his best game of the group. He was 16 of 30 for 218, two touchdowns and no picks. Washington, 15 of 31, 164, no touchdowns, two INTs. And then Oregon, 19 of 35, 220, one touchdown, one pick. I mean, I think DJ is fine. I think he'll be in a the best situation of his career with Norvell. I think Mike's going to give him much more opportunities to be at his best. I'm just not sure how great his best is, but given what the ACC is, um, and, you know, if you expand outside of the ACC, his, his other two, the, the new ACC teams, I guess, are SMU, uh, who Ben and I were talking about before the show as a team, I I think, you know, you see those group of fives kind of step up to the power five and get pushed around a little bit. So not one I'm concerned about. And then uh, um, Cal, which was actually DJ's five touchdown, no interception game this year. So I'm not, you know, I, I don't think there's something crazy out here for them. Um, you know, you host Clemson. So I don't think you have the fear of like, he's got to go back into Clemson. He's going to try and like overdo it. Um, maybe there's a redemption aspect for like the, the Notre Dame game. I don't know. I mean, it, it. I just don't know how much better he makes you. I think it is going to be very dependent on what the skill guys to come look like. You know, what what do they bring in? Um, you know, like I mentioned, Judkins is in the portal. I don't know if he's in play for Florida State. 
who knows? It just seems like someone's got to throw a large amount of money at him. Is it Florida State? I don't know. But if he's on this team, I think this team's a lot better. I think you can lean on him more. I mean, I, ju- I just watched Judkins make Dart look competent. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of things around it that can change things. But, you know, I I, I think you guys are right. I don't see this as a ceiling raiser, but certainly a floor raiser. Um, and, you know, if they add other guys around it, then you can start adding the floor because I don't think this is a guy that's going to beat himself. Yeah, yeah I, I don't I don't think I don't think he I don't it's definitely going to be a step back from Travis, right? Everyone's got to get used to that. Um, not that, you know, what we saw in the Orange Bowl is really indicative of, of the kind of step back I'm talking about. But there will be some, right? And again, I think because Oregon State let him throw the ball downfield a little bit more, like like you guys have pointed out, we saw his completions percentage slip a little bit. Um, you know, and, and and Norvell's offense likes to set up that one-on-one, right? He's going to scheme a guy open, try to make the throw easy for you, right? And then rely on that skill player to beat the one-on-one defender. Um, so, I, again, I think Norvell's scheme is QB-friendly um, in a way. It, so I agree with you, Brian, when you say that it's a, it's a good fit. I, I really do think it is a good fit, but you're right exactly how much are you going to get from him and it's hard to know and again it's i'm really dependent on i'm not saying dj's worth two games i'm just saying if you think right now before dj the floor state was going to go eight and four next season maybe you get to 93 or if you're a little bit lucky 10 and two kind of thing if you already think floor state is going to win 10 games maybe he helps you get to 11 so i think he gives you just a little bit of nudge i guess like you guys said a floor raiser not really He's not going to be one of the five best quarterbacks in college football or anything like that. Like we we believe that Travis was um, while he was healthy this season. So it it's a mixed bag. I think it's a good move. Like like what Ben said for both sides. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's just I don't we don't think that people should run away with this addition. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wouldn't go take his Heisman odds today. I mean, you know, I I I, I don't think he's going to be that best player in the country, but. I, I honestly thought the best point we made in this whole conversation was probably Ben's, right? You know, I, we were talking about at the beginning of like, this is a program that's trying to build, you know, trying to grow. You're probably going to have to trust some, if not a lot of young guys next year. Why not a guy who's got four years of playing experience, three years of starting experience heading into his, well, I was going to say his third conference, but I guess he started at Clemson. So not really the same thing, but you get the idea you know, going from East Coast to West Coast, back to East Coast. He's seen a lot, you know, he's seen a lot of ball. Um, Even if, you know, he's not spectacular, which again, I think it depends a lot on what the the skill guys look like, but I think he still gives you that type of floor raiser around you, you know, helping guys see certain things that you probably had in Travis this year that you're going to lose, obviously. So I, I think you needed that compared to what the, alternatives were yeah I, I think that's the biggest thing is that you know the difference between the aggregate of him and whoever brocklin right it, it, that that just wasn't gonna make sense for where this team was at and especially the young skill players you need to develop as well right i mean one of the most senior guys or two of the more senior guys next year in terms of that skill group will be uh toe philly of course but then kyle morlock maybe in terms of guys who've played a long longer time in terms of college football so i think you know for hakeem williams and jacobs and a lot of these younger guys who we want to see something out of next year 
DJU is the type of quarterback that you bring in and he can help elevate those guys and bring them along so that, you know, when the quarterbacks behind him eventually come to that point where they're ready, it'll be a more seamless transition and you'll be able to hold more on to that blue chip talent that you've been building up. Right. You know, I, I think if Florida state had had kind of a mess of a year next year, which, you know, not that we know what's going to happen right now, but if they kind of gone in and it was Brock Glenn and Tate, and that was kind of it. And that was the battle for QB one. I think you would have seen a regression in terms of the, I don't want to say the culture of this program, but the talent, I think certainly you would have seen um, players leaving just because of the fact that, Hey, you know, when you have a down year like that, that's what's going to happen. Um, so I think for those young skill guys, it's going to be really important, but I also think it can't be discounted the effects that he can have on Brock Glenn and, and Luke uh, Krovenhawk. You know, I, I think having that kind of veteran in the, in the building, a guy who, like you pointed out, Brian has seen so much and has experienced so much turmoil and all a lot of different things that you can see in college football. He can kind of be that, steadying force that that guy in the room who hey you know what he does know better and Brock Lund and, and Luke Cromenhawk and those young guys can really listen to him and learn a lot from him so I think he's going to do a good job setting up this program for these next three four years I completely agree Ben and you guys have both of you have brought up the point of culture a couple of times already this episode and you know i saw some things on twitter people were questioning whether or not the orange bowl loss would damage florida state's culture or momentum as a as a program in the rebuild and everything i mean again florida state went from three wins to 13 wins right this season in just a couple of years and you get that horrible orange bowl loss right which we've argued doesn't really matter but some people think that it does and you worry about well how does that affect the program and then you you turn around and, and and like to ben's point which was fantastic is you have uh, Cam, right? Cam Davis and DJ in the portal, widely regarded as the top two transfer portal uh, QBs available in the country. And then you get one of them, right? I think that means something. And it also doesn't say that if, if Norvell was just going to roll the dice with Brock Lynn next year and say, hey, we're going to be young. We're going to play young. We're going to, it's a rebuilding year. We're going to kind of, you know, make the climb again. He's not really saying that. He said, I just landed one of the top two quarterbacks in the portal in the country right that everyone wanted again because of your guys's points his experience and all the other stuff that he's seen everything he's been there he's been on really good teams he knows what it takes to win i think that sends a message and it is important for the momentum and culture of the program norvell's obviously not looking to be like ah now we're just gonna go six and you know six wins or seven wins next year and and well you know we're gonna just reset everything and kind of rebuild again he's not saying that at all He's saying, I want, I want more ACC championships. And when you look at what's ahead, right? Like who, who is the competition next year for, for this conference? It's Clemson. Um, probably, uh, it, it's presumably probably Louisville again. Uh, Miami is currently quarterbackless. Um, you know, I mean, North Carolina, maybe they, they're, they're going to have to turn it over to someone besides Drake may, you know, I mean, this conference is open and you're looking at an expanded playoff field. You know, you don't have to worry about we need to win with style points. If you win the conference, you're I mean, if you win the conference, you're in, maybe, presumably. Uh and and you know, I mean Don't get ahead of yourself, Brian. That's right. I, I went to say it and I was like, wow, really? I just I feel like I said this exact same thing like a month ago. Um, you know, it's it, it's right there for you. So why not take the swing and go get it? And the other thing, I, I feel like I've come off maybe a little negative here because on on it. I don't I don't want to dampen what I think DJ is. I I, I think like 
like John said, maybe there's three top guys that were in the portal, Cam Ward, DJ, and uh, Will Howard, who ended up at Ohio State. But, like, you got one of them, right? And you are presumably currently, what I have to assume right now, probably at least co-betting favorites for the conference, maybe with Clemson just on name value. I mean, like, you're you're going for it. And you don't want the – the no offense to Brock Glenn. I'm, I'm confident in his ability to grow and, and be better – but I don't think anyone takes them as like a betting favorite to win the conference going with a younger guy like that. When you have the ability to bring in someone like this, if DJ was coming in to quarterback this team and the roster was the same as last year, you're bringing back Johnny and Keon and Jaheim and Trey and, and down the list. I have a lot more confidence in what this looks like, but because DJ is just piece one of what has to be replacing your top two presumptive, I mean, Keon's a first-round pick, and and Johnny, I'm sure, won't be terribly far behind for a guy his size. Someone's going to end up falling in love with that in the draft. You know, I mean, you're you're replacing a lot of NFL-level talent, and I don't... DJ's good. I don't think he's, like, the guy who comes in and can take kind of anyone to be that guy. I think there's kind of more that can come with it, if that makes sense. Right, John? Yeah, right, and... And that's a fantastic point, too, because, you know, we've seen them, like you guys had mentioned earlier, you know, grab a whole bunch of transfers already out of the portal. So he's, I mean, Norvell's building a team, right? He's trying to replace it. I, I think one of the, um, what was it, uh, Jalen, um, I forgot his last name, sorry. But he's a he's that smaller five foot seven transfer. He's Ja'Kai Douglas's brother, right, uh, up on Tomahawk Nation. And you're, you're not going to replace Keon Coleman with one player, right? Keon Coleman, like you said, is probably a top 15 pick, maybe a worst top 20 pick in this draft in the first round. So you're going to have to find multiple people to replace the type of skill levels and things like that. You're not going to have a six foot six guy with a wingspan the size of the Statue of Liberty. It's just not going to happen. But you do what you can, right? They got a couple of transfers already. I think Earl Little and again, you know, three stars recruiting. Jalen you know, Lucas listen is the other guy. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Lucas. And right. And then you have uh, Brown, right, is the receiver they just got from from LSU, LSU too. So, um, you know, he's trying to put a team together. And, yeah, he's got to do a lot through the portal because that, you know, high school recruiting isn't quite there yet. But he's working on it. So it's, you know, yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think it, it allows them the ability to go get more guys. It, it opens right. the door when you're making when you're hitting the portal and you're having conversations with you know, whoever Keon Coleman is in this class. And look, no one in the portal is probably going to be a top 10 draft pick just sitting there. That's probably not something that's going to happen very frequently. Um, and if he is, does hit the portal, odds are you're not going to land him every year. But at least gives you a seat at the table with a guy that people know, people respect, and and give you the chance there. Um, so yeah, to me, this is Pete, this is chess move number one. There's there's a lot more to go. Um but I certainly I I don't dislike the move. It's certainly a good move and gives you a, a, a good base to build towards next year. And I think that's all you can really ask for. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, like I said, Norville has a plan. He knows where he wants to go. I think you, you could argue, or we may we may look back in a couple of years and argue that 13-0 was kind of ahead of schedule, really. I would say um, so. Yeah, I you know, a couple of, what was it, 2020, right? Three years before they went, three seasons before they only won three games. So you could argue 13-0 was ahead of its time. And if he did that with a lot of transfers, right, getting a bulk of the snaps, right, Coleman and Johnny Wilson was a transfer. I know Jordan Travis was technically a transfer, but, you know, before Norvell's time. Uh, Gene Bell, all those guys, 
right? Trey Benson was a transfer. And they were, you know, your biggest stars. Who's to say that, yeah, you're right. There is no Keon Coleman just sitting out there. And there's no you know, Jermaine Johnson and Jared Versus just sitting out there every single year to get. Um, but he obviously this this coaching staff can scout talent and they can develop talent. You know what I'm saying? So they know what they're doing. And you could argue that they're too much of that side and less, you know, where they should be on the recruiting side as, as a staff. But the development that they this staff does is pretty incredible. So they they do a pretty good job of maximizing a lot of the talent that they do get out of the portal. Yeah, I think if you really came down to, to say where this program is at this point, I think you like where you are. You know, you're a week into 2024. You are improving as a program. Obviously, 13-0, there's not much to improve from that point. Um, but I think, like we said, you kind of learned some secondary lessons in the Orange Bowl that maybe – you know, 13 and 0 was great. And uh, you are at your peak amongst the best. But, you know, the depth pieces of that, the, the things that come with being a truly elite top of college football program still are coming. But you're giving yourself more pieces. You're giving yourself windows into the opportunities, the ability to have these conversations. And I think if you're this program, if you're a fan of this team, you know, you like that they haven't stopped. They're still chasing. They're still building. They're still growing. And, you know, like we talked about, you are a contender to make the playoff next year. If this, like you said, if you thought it was eight and four, if you can make it to 10 and two next year, if you can make it to 11 and two or, you know, 10 and three as a conference champion, I mean, you're there. But, you 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 know, we'll see what the next chess moves are to keep adding to that. Right. And before I turn over to Ben, I just want to add one last point is I, I think, Brian, your point is fantastic. I just kind of want to emphasize a little bit more is that. Florida State really has reset the conference, right? Because we went into this last, the 2023 season saying, you know, I, I know, I remember saying is Florida State has to take this conference back from Clemson. This is the year, right? We didn't expect Clemson to kind of just, you know, fall apart like they did. And we knew it had been coming, but it actually finally happened. And Florida State did take care of business, right? Even more than we thought that they would. Um, and so, yes, there's going to be a step back this season, obviously, from 13-0. You can't really expect to do that twice. Uh, this team is not as talented as a 13-14 team. But I think they have reset the thing. It's Florida State's conference again. Yes, there's going to be fierce competition with Clemson. I'm sure, you know, NC State ended up putting together a decent squad. Uh, you expect North Carolina to drop off with Drake May, right? But Clemson's always still there. You don't know what Miami's going to do. They keep getting good recruiting classes. But can they... Can the talent that Mario Cristobal is, is accruing overcome his horrific game day coaching? That's a question that that you know Miami's going to have to answer. Um, but they've really reset it. It's Florida State's conference to lose now, so they've reset the standard. I know Mike Norvell doesn't want to let go of that. Yeah, you know they they took this conference back by storm this season. Like I mean, you you put that beautifully, John, that, you know, this conference was just controlled by Clemson for so long. And you could feel that drop off coming, but it really just did not come until this year. So I think, you know, for Florida State, as especially, you know, and I know we we a little bit talked about it, but as they're on their way out of the ACC, potentially, they're going to want to make sure that they leave their mark in the right way. And that, you know, if they're essentially auditioning for these conferences for the future, that they don't revert back to a seven win team, a six win team. And not saying that that was going to happen without DJU, but, you know, like we've all mentioned, you're raising your floor a lot higher and, you know, Look, I mean, every year in college football, there are going to be those games where you're probably going to win some games you shouldn't, and maybe you'll lose some games you shouldn't. There's there are always that that possibility. And I think when you add a 
a guy like this, you move your program in the direction you do after such a, a disheartening end to the season. I think this is the best case scenario for what this team could have hoped for in terms of program building. So I think that's the thing you have to be the most excited by. Um, and, you know, I know I've already hinted at that, but um, yeah, I, I think they should be really excited by that. And then just in terms of the talent disparity and in, in where FSU is now, they are getting those recruiting classes. And Mike Norvell, I think, has done such an amazing job with the transfer portal these last three, four years, right, since he's come to Florida State. It, it's, it's really impressive, impressive. And I think if you look over that period of time specifically and where the portal is at and just the changing landscape of college football – Mike Norville kind of owned that time in terms of the transfer portal and getting the most out of it and really showing how you can turn around a program and get the most out of what the transfer portal is. Now it's going to be about, you know, the next four to five years and, and how different that's going to be with the changing landscape. That's just going to keep changing and changing and changing. So, you know, I think we already saw Florida State, you know, picked up a kid, um, a, a young receiver from LSU who they were in for in terms of recruiting, you know, when he was originally getting recruited. And we saw Florida State you know, early on with this Mike Norvell um, coaching staff, they'd come up second or third for a lot of these guys that, you know, these higher touted guys that ended up going to SEC schools or some of those bigger, you know, Big Ten schools, whatever it might have been. So I, I'll be interested to see now with the the complete change in the rules of transfers where these freshmen can come and transfer immediately, you know, how, how Mike handles that. To me, that's going to be the challenge moving forward is, you know, he made the most of these last four years. How does he approach the next four? Um, so I'll, I'll be really curious to see how Mike approaches that. And, and if they do end up going after those younger guys, you know, um, because like you guys mentioned earlier in the pod, the blue chip percentage at the very top is getting a little diluted. You know, um, you're, you're seeing a lot of these younger players transfer a lot earlier than they normally would even two years ago. So I, I'm I'm most curious to see how Mike handles all that moving forward. And, you know, I, there's no one, if I was an FSU fan that I would trust more than him because of his track record. Yeah. And you got to see, I think here, what, what's still to come in the uh, college football coaching circle as well. You know, things can change here. Jim Harbaugh seems to be rumored to be making the NFL jump. Uh, presumably if he makes that jump, who ends up at Michigan, that puts the Michigan players out in the portal, likely. That puts whoever ends up taking that job out into the portal. You know, I, I think there's uh, a few moving pieces here that certainly can restart this offseason and give you more opportunities to be grabbing elite-level players and keep building this roster. Uh, as for the rest of this uh, offseason for this podcast, Look, I'm not going to promise you that we're going to be on here every week, every two weeks. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think the best way to handle this and to be straight up and honest with those of you that listen is we're here when we have something to say. Um, you know, I, it's not like we are uh, some monster sponsored show that's got to come out and, and deliver you something every week so we can hit quotas and, and just talk about random things and, and wax poetic and make news. Um but I think we've got some good ideas and and some of the things we did last year, uh, you know, talking to some guys who are maybe heading to the senior bowl and just kind of get an idea on what, what this team was like talking to uh, AD Michael Alfred, see if he's around again, like we did last year and kind of get his perspective as uh, last year. I think the conversation was, uh, have you heard from other conferences about leaving? And this year it's, Hey, how about suing the conference? You know, that's certainly a big change <laughs> from a year ago. Um, plus, you know, but we'll look into DJU and what, and, you know, what does Oregon State say about him? What does Clemson say about him? You know, kind of what is that guy like? 
And then, you know, maybe we bring back some of our, our guests from previous pods this season, early in the offseason, about kind of pro prospects, right? We talked about what Jordan looks like as a pro. What does, obviously, an injury changes a lot of that, but what does Keon look like? What does Johnny look like? Trey, Jared Verse, and on down the list. I think there's a lot of conversations to be had there. And I think, you know, as we get those, as we build those, and, you know, that's when we'll have episodes. Uh, if you're curious, you can reach out to us and tweet us or whatever. Ben's probably the most active, so he'd probably be the one to most likely reach out to. But, uh, you know, that that's my promise to you. When we have things to say, we'll say it. Otherwise, you know, uh, tune in to the three stars of recruiting. Those guys are doing it. Florida State are recruiting three stars. Um, you know, they've got that perspective and, and, and are doing a great job with it. And, you know, we'll be here, I'll say, every so often, every couple weeks, every, every so often like that. And, uh, you know, whenever we need to let me just – talking on microphones my wife's tired of letting me just run my mouth around the house so um any last notes guys besides that um i think you did a really good job wrapping that up i just one thing i would like to to say yeah good (laughs) job brian um one thing i definitely like to say is i am very excited for draft season you know that's definitely more my personal passion um and this is going to be the most exciting draft season for florida state and Gosh, I don't even know how long. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be at um, down in Tallahassee when they host, you know, the prospects and, and they do that. I'll, I'll be there for that. I'm, I'm definitely locked in for that day. Um, and that's a day I've been looking forward to the, for the last three years. So, yeah, I'm really excited for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely get some NFL draft stuff going. we got the Senior Bowl coming up in less than a month or so or about, yeah, about, exactly. a, about a month or so. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's in Mobile the weekend before the Super Bowl. So, yeah, that should be really exciting. There should be a lot of Florida State players there. Braden Fisk, another guy you didn't mention, who I'm I'm very curious to see, you know, him in that kind of environment. So, yeah, it should be very exciting from the draft process. Yeah, and last year our draft conversation was talking NBA young boy with Jamie Robinson. So, uh, John, anything on you? Yeah, um, I know later in the summer I'm sure we're going to have – an episode with more information about Florida State's law, uh, you know, kind of unprecedented lawsuit to break the grant of rights and, and get out. I do want to say that, you know, reading reading the lawsuit and everything, there's very interesting dynamic and some allegations that Florida State alleged. If FSU has evidence to prove those allegations, I think it would make their case a little bit stronger than I had anticipated. It wasn't as some national um, sites kind of lazily ran with. It's not just bluster. Um, there, there was a couple of things specifically I wanted to mention um, about FSU's lawsuit and what they allege. It's, it's not just that you know ESPN hadn't picked up uh, the ACC's option, everything like that, but um, that the president Jim Phillips or the commissioner, I'm sorry, uh, Jim Phillips of the ACC had uh, pretty much unilaterally did an amendment to extend ESPN's option to pick up the ACC deal from 2021 to 2025, and that is allegedly against the bylaws, right? So. Um, at that point, apparently, if ESPN does not want to pick up the ACC deal, right, from my understanding is they could ship it out to almost any channel for any amount of money. And there's nothing ACC or Florida State members could do about it because the ACC still holds the grant of rights for it would be nine more years until 2036. Um, so some of those allegations were, were actually new information we did not know. I thought that was pretty interesting and a little bit stunning. But again, it all hinges on whether or not Florida State can actually prove that that was the case. So we'll see We'll see how it goes. Obviously, you know, the ACC doesn't want to settle. They kind of prepared for the situation. Um, but they, uh, you know, I don't think they really want to settle. Settling for FSU is a win because you get out with your TV rights. 
Uh, but the ACC obviously does not want that because if one goes, then a bunch of others will go. So it'll be interesting. I think Florida State has until August 15th of this year, 2024, to declare that they're out for the 2025 season, I believe, right? So uh, that's the deadline. We'll see what happens. That's a good point. Maybe we can find us a lawyer, a sports lawyer, who can maybe give us a good perspective on that too. Um, but like I said, we'll we'll see what we can find out. And, and yes, if something on that end happens, uh, I can promise you we'll be here. So uh, until then, we appreciate you listening and, and hanging with us all season. This is off-season episode one, so – uh, we'll be around in some variation of the three of us. Might be one of us, might be two of us, might be all three of us again, a guest, who knows. But uh, there'll be some variation coming for the next few six, seven months till we're back in, well, not in Ireland, but football in Ireland at least uh, until then. So lots to talk about, lots of fun moving pieces to follow. We appreciate you listening and just, you know, giving three guys with microphones a, a, a fun thing to do as a hobby. So I appreciate you listening. Until next time, that's a wrap. Oh.